everybody. Welcome to the DMV Wedding Pros Podcast. I'm your host, Abigail Cole from Abu Doodle Productions. Today, I talked to Andrew Guilford again, our first repeat guest on the podcast. He's from Film and Flourish, and he is a wedding filmmaker based in Virginia. Today, I kind of wanted to just dig into how he found success so quickly in this industry. So we dig into some of his numbers um, in the last three years of being a wedding filmmaker. Um, we talked a little bit about pricing structure and philosophy. Um, about how service gets you a, a long way in this industry and how it's equally important to connect with our clients and with our fellow vendors. So I'm really excited to bring this conversation to you today and I hope that you find it as insightful as I did. So let's jump in. Thank you so much for joining us, Andrew. If you want to just tell us a little bit more about you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on again. This is awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate it. So uh, my name is Andrew Guilford. I run a wedding videography company called Film and Flourish. I'm based out of Central Virginia. I've been filming weddings for just over three years now, coming up on three years full time. And yeah, I guess that's short and sweet. Yeah, cool. <laughs> um, so as you just mentioned, we've had you on the podcast before. Um and since then, you've rebranded and, you know, definitely some things have changed. That was a little bit more than a year ago now. Um, and I think that this is going to be a little bit more of a conversation than sort of more a more structured interview type of thing. Um, but I think that you have so much invaluable knowledge about the wedding industry and about just business in general. Um, and I think that uh, many, many outsiders are incredibly impressed when they learn um, how quickly you've gained success by just jumping into to film and, um, and wedding videography and building a really successful and profitable business. Um, so if you want to tell us a little bit about your humble beginnings as a landscaper and how you kind of transitioned into wedding videography, I would love that. Yeah, so my introduction and start to the film world in general was I went to film school. Uh, I went to Liberty University for the cinematic arts program back from 2016 or 2013 through 2016. And then once I graduated the film program, I started applying for, you know, jobs on film sets, like whether out in California, Atlanta, uh, New York, or even more just local stuff. And from 2016, through the end of 2017, I landscaped. I had been landscaping for three or four years each summer, all the way through college. So that was kind of like the main job I had when I wasn't in school. And that's what I started doing full time for about a year and a half. After I finished the film program, I worked on a couple film sets uh, and feature films, but that didn't really work for um, <clears throat> the type of lifestyle I wanted to, to be a part of since I was trying to get married and didn't want to be gone uh, at all times. So midway through 2017, I ended up shooting my very first wedding. Uh, I think I might have covered that a little bit in the first podcast episode. But mm -hmm. basically, a friend from school asked back in 2016, hey, I know you're in the film program. Can you film my wedding? I said, sure, absolutely. I don't know what that looks like, but I'll totally be willing to do it. Um, almost a year later, or a little over a year later, I showed up with one camera, one lens, two mics and a drone. And that was it. Filmed their wedding for $200. And then skipping over some details, uh, get to the end of 2017, I ended up shooting, I think a collective amount of 
10 or 11 weddings. Mm -hmm. And then going into January of 2018, after a lot of a lot of praying, talking to my wife, discussing uh, the financial side of things. Hey, I think I can go full time with this and I think I can make more than my landscaping job. Um, so now skip ahead two and a half years from January of that year uh, of 2018. Here I am now in my third year, or I guess, yeah, my third year full time. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Um, I would love to talk numbers if you don't mind yeah no absolutely so so 10 or 11 weddings in your first year um how many do you think that you did in your second year and how did like what did 200 dollars for your first wedding turn into by the end of 2018 so as soon as i looked up my first three years or basically four years of wedding season shooting and had numbers in front of me it totally re restructured my mindset and my brain as to how, you know, I could see where I've grown. Mm -hmm. I could set new future goals and say, Hey, this is what I've hit the last three years. I've gone up by this amount per year on average. I think it's possible to get to this amount uh, to this amount. And you kind of have been working my way up from there. So in 2017, I shot 11 weddings for a total of $16,000, which comes out to an average of just under 1500. <clears throat> and I think, I think how that average played out was I shot one for 200. I think weddings two through five were like eight, nine, 800, 900 and two for a thousand. Mm -hmm. I shot one for 1200. And then I think everybody after that, I charged 1700. And then one person in that year booked me I think it was for like 2,700 as like math. It was like way, way more than anything I'd been booked for. Yeah. But like they got everything for that. I had a, a second with actually had two people with me. Um, come 2018, I jumped from 11 weddings to 30 weddings. I jumped wow. from 16, I jumped from 16,000 up to just shy of 59,000. So, I mean, that's almost quadrupled my income. Yeah. And the average booking went from fourteen thousand or fourteen hundred fifty-eight to nineteen fifty-seven. So it's right around that two thousand dollar average booking rate. Mm -hmm. um, go from twenty eighteen to twenty nineteen. I went from thirty weddings to thirty-three weddings, but I booked so I booked three more weddings than the previous year. But my income went from fifty-eight thousand to eighty-three thousand, mm -hmm. and an average booking went from nineteen fifty-seven to twenty-five hundred. Um, and then before bless her heart, Corona hit, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess when I put these numbers together back in January or February of this year, I had 27 weddings booked. So six less than 2019. However, my income went up 9,000 from 83,000 to 92,000. And the average booking went from 2,500 up to 3,400. So like, just looking at the average, I went from 1458 to 1957 to 2536 to 3422. So like, you know, I was roughly estimating about a $500 jump. And then going into this year, it was almost a $1,000 jump. Yeah. And then if I had, I don't have the 2021 numbers in front of me because I haven't looked that far out in advance. Sure. And I've also lost a lot for this year. And then I've replaced a lot of those weddings. So like the numbers are Totally, I think that my numbers have dropped 
from 92 back down to like 84 so far for this year because I've refunded some people. Uh, one couple I had to give a total refund to because I wasn't able to shoot the wedding due to an accident. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and then a couple of other people canceled. What do you feel like are the main factors that helped you grow so quickly? I think like when we talk about like limiting beliefs, I don't know if you're like familiar with that term, but for me, it took so long for me to just hit a $2,000 wedding. And I think it was mostly just cause I was too scared to charge that much. Um, certainly realizing now that there are people out there that will happily pay that. Um, but do you feel like it was you pushing yourself to just increase prices? Was it an increase in quality an increase in skill, an increase in what you were giving your couples? How do you look back and reflect on that? Yeah, so this is what I've shared a lot with people over the last week or two is that um, confidence was never what pushed me to raise my prices. I was never like, dang, my work's getting better. I feel so confident in the quality of my work. I'm raising my prices. If I'm being completely honest, the main reason I forced myself to raise my prices was because I couldn't keep up with the amount of people booking me. So it was never dang, my, I'm booking $2,000 on average more than I was last year. I need to raise my prices again. It was more like I've booked a ton of people at this rate. I'm being overrun. I need to raise my prices. And that's why between, uh, that's why between March of 2019 <clears throat> until June of this year, so a 14, 15 month difference, I changed prices and raised them <clears throat> three to four different times because even in that, even though I was overrun with bookings, I still wasn't willing to make big jumps. I'm like, oh, no one will book me if I only raise 400. Oh, wow, they're still booking me. Okay, well, no one will book me if I raise it another 300. People kept booking me. Yeah. So I finally made an $800 jump. People kept, I think three people booked me immediately. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm going 500 more. Yeah. And in a very short time frame, I hit, I went from 2,000 base to a 4,000 base. Mm-hmm. And I went from most people booking my base price at like 2000 to 2700 to most people are just skipping over my base of 4000 and booking my $5,500 package. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do with like, I don't want to say sales because sales to me sounds kind of disingenuous. Um, I think it's more like I'm open and honest with them with here's what I like. Here's what I think I would want. Here's what I think you will want. Here's here are the two different types of values in package one and two. And I honestly think that's also a huge aspect. That's another, probably another subtopic of this in being able to charge more is really just educating my couples and making them feel like, Hey, he knows probably what we're going to want based on what his previous 95 couples have wanted. We, we trust that. And we also see you educate other people. We see you post on Instagram. We love talking to you like so many different factors. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you feel like, kept people booking you like was there a thing or a couple things that you think people saw in your films or maybe they told you they saw in your films or your personality or your business that made them want nobody but you yeah so if i had to you know if i had to take a guess of what i thought were the main contributing factors it would be two things one Somehow I think they saw something in my work even early on, <laughs> which I'm, I I guess 
maybe I'm my, my own worst critic, but I look back at my early stuff and I'm like, why would anybody trust me with their <laughs> wedding based on this? Yeah. Um, it wasn't bad. And I get, I guess I might have gotten a lot of people early on who only did have that $1,500, $2,000 budget. Right. They saw my stuff and they were like, hey, that's, that's good enough. We like it for our budget, you know? Um, but I think the bigger thing than that is, I mean, even still today, here we are three years later from my like second, third, fourth, fifth wedding that I shot, I'm still getting referrals from those photographers. And that's the only time I ever worked with them. Yeah. So, and, and they, I probably, <laughs> they probably don't even know what my work looks like now. I mean, they might, but you know, I don't know. Yeah. But the fact that they're referring me and I'm like, well, I'm guessing they're not looking at the video I shot when I worked with them three years ago, <laughs> um, which, you know, if they aren't, I think that's just very telling in, I think, people's ability to be able to, to take on work and to always have people come in their way based on how they work with others in the industry, not even going off of their work and their quality and their final product, but just how they're able to, to work well with previous vendors. Definitely. So where do you find that most people uh, are finding you through? Is it social media? Is it all like referrals? Yeah. So I basically look at my website as just a landing page. Like mm -hmm. I've got five or six of my favorite wedding videos on there, um, different, different types of venues, uh, different couples different states too because i want people to know like oh he shot in pa virginia maryland yeah but i would say outside of the website being a landing page people most people find me through word of mouth mm -hmm. and then i say probably like 80 percent find me through word of mouth and then the other 20 percent are it organically through instagram me tagging the couples me tagging the venue they're, they're friends of the bride or friends of the groom where they were a guest in attendance they follow me that way and then four months later, eight months later, some some people have reached out after following me since I first started. Mm -hmm. um, thank thank goodness <laughs> they stuck through my <laughs> early work. Um, and that's how people are also finding me. Yeah. You know, it's through Instagram. That's awesome. So um, so it sounds like you don't do much. You don't spend much money on marketing, which is nice. <laughs> no. So um, – a good friend of mine, uh, Ethan, Ethan Wise from Wise Films, he reached out to me the other day because he was asking about, um, I guess, views. He's like, hey, the last like, last few of your videos have gotten a ton of views. What have you done? And I was like, honestly, I'm just putting a dollar per day for seven days on any of my videos that organically hit over a thousand views and that have lots of good engagement. Mm -hmm. I then say, you know what? I want to get more engagement. It might not mean bookings, but I just want more more social media presence out there. And so I just put $7 into seven days of ads on Instagram. And that kind of pumps up, so I guess, more the view count and the interaction and people that see my work. But I just started doing that over the last month and a half. Before that, um, I've, I've never paid for an ad on Facebook, on Instagram, um, or anything like that. I mean, I have a free Wedding Wire account. I have a free Love Stories TV account. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it's all been word of mouth. Uh, a lot of people follow me just because I talk to them at a wedding. They don't even pay attention to me until I talk to them. Then we have a conversation. Then they follow me. And next thing you know, they're like, hey, I'm sending you a friend <laughs> who wasn't at the wedding to look at you for video. So 
It's, it's just crazy. Yeah, that's awesome, though. Is there anything that you have done with Instagram specifically that you feel like has been drawing people in? Like, they see what on your Instagram that you think converts them? Um, I think it's a mix of things. I know there's, like, probably one to two dozen people like consistently message me about coloring, about audio, about just my edits and my work overall in general. Mm -hmm. And then there's probably, I'm just going to go like with a wide range number. There's probably like 20 to maybe 50 people that frequently comment on my stories. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I also get a lot of just random people that every once in a while will comment on something I see, they see, or I post on something I've never talked about touched on before on an Instagram story and people comment on that. And I think, I don't know. I think it's a combination of those two things. I think yeah. showing more of my personality and even, even with one of the, the people that I talked with yesterday on a, on a voice chat, they were telling me, they were like, just watching your, your Instagram stories tells me that you or conveys to me at least that you have a higher brand just based on how you engage with people and share stuff on your Instagram story. So it's like, I'm not posting that kind of content for people to consume and to book me for. It's almost like the Instagram stories are just extra little bonuses of like, Hey, here's little free content. Here's little, here's little nuggets of things that I've learned from business or things I've done at a wedding, or here's what I'm doing with an edit and why. And I think it's, it's been really good to attract both both creators as well as couples. And it's also engaged both creators and couples. Yeah, that's awesome. Just recently, I kind of had this epiphany where um, even though I certainly love my couples and love getting to know them really well, I also am super, super passionate about the wedding vendor side of things and educating other vendors and getting to know them and networking with them and like trying to figure out how I can boost their business too and like brainstorm with them. So that's been really cool. So, um, you are a person in my personal experience who has been always like super receptive and open to questions and willingly sharing knowledge, which is invaluable for so many people in this industry. So I'm just going to shout you out and say thank you really quick. (laughs) Um, because that's awesome. Um, and then kind of skipping backward to num- the number game again, how many inquiries do you think you get like every month? Yeah, so it <laughs> I really feel like it's a month by month thing. Um, just based on the month of the year, early on the virus, there's nothing right yeah. now. I'm getting a lot more than I did two months ago. Right. But I would say on average... I'm probably getting two to three leads per week. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an on average, you know, sometimes I don't get anything. I might get two leads for the entire month. And then months like this, I've gotten probably two dozen over the last month. And I've wow. booked like six of them. Okay. Um, which is, I guess, like a 25% somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, so- some of them have been for this year. Some of them have been for next year. Okay. Um, yeah. So then my next question with that is, was going to be like, you know, out of that, how many have you booked? But for the people that you say no to, what is this like split on you're unavailable? They're not the right fit. You're out of budget. Like, what does that kind of look like? Yeah. So the majority of the time, my job's easy. I get to say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm already booked. Mm -hmm. And then I go to 
um, our little Facebook chat and check in with people to see if they're available. That yeah. way I can send them somebody that I trust. I know is going to take care of the couple, uh, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But when it's someone that their dates open or I mean, I mean, just trying to think. So right now I'm trying to slowly shift my, my business away from just taking like a year ago. It was anybody who books these prices, they fair game. They can yep. get me if they're going to pay me this much. Now uh, I'm at the point where depending on the time of the year and what I have booked around that several week period, I might turn down a couple that says they have a $5,000 budget because I already have a ton of weddings around that time period. Their wedding's four and a half hours away. I think based on my last three years of experience that I can either book somebody closer or someone's going to come around and book me for, you know, even more than what this couple might pay me. Yeah. Um, so in those situations, I just let the couple know, um, look, uh, I, you know, I just don't think we're going to be a good fit. I don't think it's going to work mainly because of my schedule and the, the traveling and the distance, the separation between our locations. Um, with that in mind, what I'll do is check with people, a couple of my friends, see if they're available. I'll try to find people that are closer to your area. Mm-hmm. Um, that way you don't just keep reaching out to people that are super far away. And that's how I deal with that. I have had uh, two recent, two more recent inquiries where one of the couples just wanted a lot of changes. I'm sure you remember me posting that in some groups yeah. saying, what, what the heck do I even do? Like, I'm, I've never been asked to to fix so much before anything's been done. Right. So with that couple, I sent, it took a, you know, it took a good time, good amount of time to, to put together an email. I sent that to them. Unfortunately, there were no hiccups. They were like, totally understood, totally agree. Thank you for your time. Um, I didn't send them any referrals though. Cause I'm like, I don't want this kind of treatment yeah. <laughs> to any of my friends. And then there was someone else more recently too, where I can't remember if it was budget. I think it was budget. They like, I had the date open. I wouldn't mind making, you know, the amount of money they, they said that they could pay, but I'm like, there were just three or four really big things that I was factoring in that were like, uh, that money's not enough for me to go through all the trouble of logistics of the driving of the time of year. I'm already going to have probably like 15 to 20 weddings to edit. I don't want to add on another wedding to that and only be being paid half of my normal rate. Right. So that's kind of how case by case situation. Yeah. Solid. What do you think was the driving factor between like 11 weddings and 30? Was it just that you were taking everything you could get? Like, like, yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, and I mean, I could, there, there was just, just a random amount of, of pricing. And I think, I think 20, 2018 was a phenomenal year to realize what I was doing wrong. Mm-hmm. 2019 was a good reflection of what did I do right? And then 2020 is kind of an onward has been a kind of a mix. And I don't know if maturation, is that a word? Mature, maturing, <laughs> <I'll say Yeah. laughs> maturation, it's a new word. Got it. Um, the maturing of those two, what's good, what's working and what's not working. So with 2017 into 2018, I took a lot of weddings. I had stuff priced all over the place like, oh, you're 1,200 and you're 1,900. You're 23. You're 27. You're 21. Oh, but and every single package was totally different. Yeah. Um, so I got very confused. I would deliver to people and they'd be like, where's my ceremony? I'm like, oh, crap. I didn't, <laughs> you're that couple. Okay. Um, 
So those are a lot of the, what the early stages of things look like because I booked, I went from 11 weddings and I could barely handle that. Like with like the structure and organization, I then jumped to three times as many weddings. Um, so that was a bit of a mess on the business side of things, Sure. but it definitely projected me. It allowed me, there were probably, there were probably three, I'd say there were probably like four or five weddings, maybe a few more in 2018 that grabbed the attention of some of my, at the time, highest paying clients for 2019, whose weddings happened to be the highest, you know, the ones that grabbed the attention of my highest paying 2020 clients. And so, yeah. 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 That's so interesting. I love that, you know, one of those years was a reflection on what can I do better? And one of those years was a reflection on this is what I did better. um, And how can I continue to improve? So I love that. I would love to know what kind of advice you give people when they're trying to figure out their pricing. Pricing is still something I feel like I struggle with only because I'm someone who compares myself a lot to the other vendors in the area. And I just feel like my skill level isn't quite as good. Um, So when people go to price themselves, do you usually tell people to look outward or look more inward? Um, hmm, That's a good question. I think one common mistake I see a lot with people's pricing structure, and this is something I did very early on um, to an extreme, is there's not much differentiation between packages or their pricing. So like, let's say you have three packages Let's say they actually are all totally different, which would be a great start. I still see uh, the majority of the time, I still see people struggling with their prices, having a $2,000 package, a $2,300 package, and then like a $2,600 or $2,800 package. And it's like, those are very close in number. And whether it's conscious or subconscious, I think couples are coming in there looking at, they're really, the first thing they're looking at is numbers. And they're like, all this stuff is like, so similar we feel like we can basically get the get almost as much value for like eight hundred dollars less right um and when you're in that fifteen hundred to like four thousand dollar price range a lot of couples really are eyeballing and they're not going to see something that costs eight hundred dollars more as that much more valuable they're just gonna be like oh dang eight hundred dollars more we'll just go with the base whereas when you start separating say you make that two thousand dollars you leave it at 2000 you make that 2200 2900 and then you make that 2700 one like 3900 all of a sudden you've now given your your packaging system and structure a little bit more dynamic range yeah in terms of okay we there's got to be a difference they they're now paying more attention to what's included in the packages because those numbers are so different yeah and then that's the first part the second part is that um, there is no difference. So that last example was if people have a big difference in their packages, but a lot of people have num- have pricing that, you know, their packages are priced very similarly. There's not a big difference and they're offering like nothing different between any of them. And so clients are just like, uh, yeah, I'm just going with the lowest one. Right. So those are the two main issues I see when it comes to just packaging structure on like a, um, a surface level. Yeah. I think those are astute observations. And I know that that's something that John Bunn and Nick Miller talk a lot about. Um, but in having you say, um, 
that the if if their if package pricing is further apart, then clients are paying more attention to what is in each package. I think that sentiment I haven't really thought about before. So I think that is, yeah, that's really important and something to think about. Um, and then I like know where you stand on this. Uh, and I know you probably know where I stand on this, but I think one thing that's always up for debate, always, always is pricing on your website, starting price on your website, no pricing on your website. So I would love to just chat about that a little bit. So you put a starting price. Do you put a starting price on a video page or is it only when they go to fill out the contact form? It's only when they go to fill out a contact form. Okay. And the reason I do that is because a lot of, I, I used to have a, my own section of the website dedicated to pricing mm-hmm. and people would still ask me <laughs> what yep. my pricing is. Yeah. I'm like, all right, if they're going to reach out, there's no way they can't not see it. So I put it in my contact form. Yeah, that's smart. I, I find, so I'm someone who puts all my pricing on my website and I, like it that way but i still get people that email me and message me not through my contact form but just like on other platforms or whatever yeah. asking for yeah, pricing yeah, yeah. and i'm like you literally didn't even go to my website like how did you <laughs> get my email if you didn't go to my website and just look at my pricing page so that's always frustrating for me as someone who does put pricing on my website um and i know that I've heard from other educators and people that they've kind of experimented with a few different things and found like if they put full pricing on their page, you know, inquiries go down, but bookings go up. Um, and that's one thing that I always, I've always had my pricing on my website and it's mostly because I just want to immediately weed out people that don't want to pay that. And there are a lot of beliefs that, you know, that means that you could never upcharge people above that. They see what they see and like, that's what they're going to pay. Um, which I like sort of get, (laughs) but I, I don't want people, I don't want to answer a hundred emails of people looking for a $500 videographer, you know? Yep. Yep. And that's exactly why, that's exactly why you do it. Um, just to, just to be able to facilitate the number of people you have to respond to. Yeah. Have you experimented at all with like no pricing or all pricing um, recently? No, not recently. Honestly, I think, I think for the majority of my time that I've been doing weddings and I've had a website, there's always been a viewable price for people to see. And I think it's probably been, close to the last year that I ended up just putting that into the inquiry form, mm-hmm. probably a little bit over a year now that I've had that in the inquiry form so that people, when they, when they reach out and it says, you know, they get to fill in their budget, they'll get to see what the, the base rate is. It says collections with film and flourish begin at, and the average investment with film and flourish is this. Yeah. That way people at least have two numbers. They might be thinking maybe it's somewhere a number in between. I've had couples do that. And this thought just popped into my head. This might be its own topic, but there is such a a deep psychological connection to um, to beating your couples to the punch. Because mm-hmm. instead of waiting for them to tell you their budget, I say that I start at thirty nine ninety five. And I think I shared this with you in the group back when I was at twenty seven hundred mm-hmm. for my starting mm-hmm. price. People would say my budget's twenty six ninety. I'm sorry, when my budget was at twenty. Let me start over. Mm-hmm. Back when my back when my pricing was at twenty seven or twenty six ninety five, couples would say my budget's twenty seven hundred. Yeah. 
This happened a lot, like a lot, when my pricing jumped to twenty nine ninety five. Oh, my budget's three thousand. I jumped to thirty four ninety five. My budget's thirty five hundred. I'm now at thirty nine ninety five. So many couples either say four thousand, or I think they see four thousand and fifty five hundred as the average. And a lot of couples will say forty five hundred or five thousand, thinking maybe they'll get somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, yeah. So already you're communicating to these couples, one, if you can afford me, please go ahead and continue to fill this out. If not, it just saves both of us a lot of extra time or wasted time talking. And then for the people who do reach out, they at least now know what to expect. And most of my couples do. They either get package one or they get package two. There's one other thing if I could. So I did a call with a guy out of Florida probably about a month and a half ago. And we talked about pricing structure, and one of the one of the things I noticed because I mean, he's in a really good area of Florida with like really bougie, high end, <laughs> really nice. I mean, he doesn't have to do that much. He's just right there in the middle of it, mm-hmm. and so he's doing really, really successful. Um, and I think he's been doing this for a year, year and a half less than I have. And I think the biggest, I think the biggest area of disconnect with his business, he's like. So right now, all of my pricing structure is up there. All of my prices are like a, literally like a menu to order online. You go there and you can pick everything and then you hit submit and I it just gives me the order and I already have everything they want to buy. And I'm like, that's super, super convenient. Like sometimes I wish I could have that mm-hmm. instead of filling everything out by hand. Um, I'm lazy. I don't use HoneyBooks integrated templates, but I'm like, you're missing the entire interaction side of things by never even getting to talk to people. Cause yeah. some people, yeah. he goes, he goes, and I said, let me ask you this. How many people are only booking your base price and they're not clicking any of your other two dozen options for, for add-ons. And he goes, most of my couples, that's most of my couples, most of my couples aren't clicking anything else. They click base package or they might click, they might click package one. They might click package two, but they never add anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and if you don't get to talk to couples, most of them aren't going to understand or see the value in those add-ons. So I said, I think what you should do is remove that from your website, maybe keep your prices, but instead of letting people pick and choose what they think they want, get them in conversation so that you can start sharing kind of, I guess, value to them. You can add a lot of those add-ons that people aren't picking, add those to your packages because you might already be flying your drone you might already be making social media teasers, which have been huge. Both of those have been huge for me. Yeah. But I was yeah. doing those for free for the longest time. But I was I was doing them for free. But as soon as I added them to packages, it made my packages look a lot more strong. Like I offered a lot of good stuff. And yet I hadn't been charging for it <laughs> for like the first two years. Um, so, yeah, that was just a little side note. Yeah, no, I think that's also very helpful. Um I I think that with videography, sometimes I will listen all the time. <laughs> I think that videographer videography is harder than photography. And I usually say that sparingly because, you know, people will argue about that, which I get. Um, but one thing that I think is really difficult with pricing is for a photographer, you know, it's hours of coverage, just like us. And then it's maybe how many images they get. And then it's, you know, how the gallery is delivered. And maybe like if they want albums or prints or something like that. 
And that, I think most of that is kind of like objective, like you kind of know what you're going to get. With videography, especially when we build packages that have different edits on them, my ceremony edit and your ceremony edit look very different. My bonus footage or FOMO or doc edit looks different than something you would offer. Even our raw footage is going to be different. Even the way that we fly our drone is going to be different. Um, And so I think it's really difficult for people who are, you know, price comparing other people out there to try to figure out how to price themselves um, of where that sweet spot is without being able to see their final product. They're only seeing their price. They're not seeing their final product. Um, That's something that's been difficult for me because, you know, you shoot a ceremony with five cameras. Maybe it's six now. I don't know. (laughs) And um, and I, I still only shoot a ceremony with two. So logically to me, that's like, oh, well, you know, my ceremony edit is on the lower end of an add-on because it's not like a perfectly like sculpted, like five angle thing, you know? (laughs) So I think that's, I think that's what makes video pricing in particular tricky. And I'm sure like each kind of vendor area has its things like that. And mean even with photographers, right? Everyone's got a different style and and, and approach, but um, yeah. So I think I just think it's so tricky to to figure out how to price yourself. And I think a lot of the education out there uh, is is saying the same thing, but there are always going to be different opinions about about how you should go about it. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And I think it, this kind of goes back to what you mentioned earlier. And in several of the conversations I've had this week with people, confidence, confidence is so valuable. Mm -hmm. I will say that confidence is it's invaluable. However, it doesn't matter how confident you are. If your business doesn't have proper structure in order to make those confident decisions you need to make. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can't say I'm confident I can book more and raise your prices the last 20 people have paid you 2000 and now you suddenly think you can make 5000 there has to be there has to be reasoning either on paper in your numbers or a build over time whether that's like a year and a half like things have quickly jumped for me mm-hmm. or someone maybe like um Taylor Paternovich someone like Jake Weisler like i think a lot of people look at at us people like us and see how quickly we've reached I guess what they would call success or at least numbers they want to get to. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's like, we were at those areas, but we did maybe, I don't know, three years, five years, 10 years worth of work and learning and adjusting within those short periods of time for our own business, which has allowed us to, to get to, I guess, higher, higher prices and to be able to offer maybe things differently than, than other people. But as much as like, like I said, as much as confidence has really played into like, I mean, if you've talked to Jake, if you've talked to Taylor and now talking to me, all three of us will be like, even when everybody, the, the couples, the vendors, educators were telling us, get your prices up. Even when the data was there saying, get your numbers up, we still didn't have confidence. So confidence can't be overlooked. However, I think a lot of people are told you just need confidence and people are like, yeah, let me go for it. And it's like, no, there's like a dozen <laughs> things that need to be in place first. Yeah. That, yeah. that just aren't as, it's not as, as attractive and probably not as encouraging to say, hey, you need to know your numbers versus 
believe in yourself, <laughs> you <Right>. know? <laughs> yeah, you definitely have to have the skills to back up the confidence. Hard question for you. Oh, I, I realize that they go hand in hand and they're both very important. But if you had to choose between video and deliverables quality and good business and client relationship, what do you think is most important for a wedding business to succeed? Uh, hmm. So what were the two options? Uh, Quality the of was... your product and the way that you run your business and relate to your client. Uh, the 110% how you run your business and how you interact with your client. Yeah. All yeah. day, every day. Because I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who are phenomenal at what they do. And if they listen to this, they'll know that I'm talking about them. <laughs> um <laughs> Phenomenal at what they do. I think they should be charging three or four thousand more than what they are. Mm -hmm. And yet, I'm looking at other people. I'm like, I don't see what's so special per se about your work. Mm -hmm. Nothing mm -hmm. else. Just just watching your work, watching a dozen of your videos. I don't see why people are willing to pay what they do for your work, but not pay that. But other people aren't willing to pay this other person the same amount. Yeah. And I would say that's probably 99% of the reason is because of who that, who that videographer knows, who knows that videographer, the relationships they've built, the business, the type of business structure and model that they have. And it really doesn't even come down to the work. I mean, obviously if their work sucked, none of those other things would matter. Right. But as long right. as you have a, a good, a solid and consistent product doing those other things for, that, you know, business related, relationally related, that's what's just going to continue to make your business boom and grow. Sure. Now, I mean, and then, and then obviously as your product gets better, that's just icing on the cake. Like, sweet. I can charge more now. Cause like my work, obviously your certain types of work do attract certain types of clients. Like, um, for sure. Like if you, if you produce and are part of three or four really high end weddings and you start pushing that stuff, you're probably going to get more high end stuff. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I definitely think the business and relational side of things will always be something that is first and foremost in, in keeping a business moving forward. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that um, early 2019, you helped spark for me how important Instagram was as a marketing tool. And I invested most of my time and effort into Instagram and saw that build and grow and saw inquiries finally coming through Instagram with all that hard work, which was awesome. And one thing that, um, I'm, I'm now I'm just very passionate about Instagram and I'll tell anyone who will listen, you know, the, some of the best Instagram practices. But one thing that I often tell people is, you know, if you can get your face on Instagram, whether it's in your feed or on your stories or both, um, a lot of people are hesitant to do that, but, um, it helps with that client relationship so much. And when it comes down to it, when they're looking at two different videographers, if they already know who you are, just cause they've tapped through your stories a few times in a few weeks and they like know what you're about and what you like and what you do, then they're gonna want you at their wedding over someone else just because you're you and you have the skills to back <laughs> it up. So I think yeah. that's something that people should really learn to value is 
is make the client want you there and nobody else. And I think that's something that you have done very, very well. I, I think that's a really, it might sound cliche and like corny, Mm -hmm. but I think, I honestly think that you are your greatest attribution to your business. Mm -hmm. You are the face you represent whatever you've branded your business to be like, it's a representation of you. It's not like it should be two different things. Oh, I'm me over here. And then there's my business. It's like, I think at least from the many great examples I've seen people that infuse them into their business, instead of trying to take business and throw it onto their, onto them. Mm -hmm. Like my goodness, it's, you see some, some amazing people out there doing things and they're thriving because they're just being themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that is overlooked sometimes, especially when people are first starting out, but you are your brand, you are your business. So yeah, I think that's so important. One thing that I've struggled being able to answer with people is when videographers, because most videographers, I would say, or at least a lot of us are more introverted than extroverted Mm -hmm. and look at, look at any fun outgoing verbal, great with social, social media type of video people. And they're all clearly extroverts. I mean, Mm -hmm. at least I would, at least I would think at least there's (laughs) some aspect and component of who they are is able to embrace that putting their face out there. Whereas a lot of people I've talked to are like, so what if I'm like super crass? What if I'm really bad at communication? What if I stutter a lot? What if I am someone who's just known to like just say the wrong thing at the wrong time? What if my personality is super boring, super dry? Like you're telling me that's what my business needs to be. I've, I've had a very difficult time answering that for people. Yeah. That's a good point. When I talk to photographers and videographers, I, I sort of mention along the same lines, like, I think a lot of photo video in particular are introverted because they are used to and like being behind the camera. And I always joke that I'm, I also grew up as a theater kid, so I have no problem being in front of the camera and I really enjoy being in front of the camera. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, it's difficult. I've talked with a lot of people who are like, I don't want to put my face out there. Like I'm just introverted. I I just don't, that's not something that is easy for me. And you're right. I never really have, I never really have good advice for them other than do it. Just try it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and, and I think that it does, I think part of it goes back to to confidence because I, I have met and have worked with some real Debbie Downers. I mean, they're just, their energy sucks away my energy because they're so lifeless. So I think when you post stuff, whether you know it or not, you are encouraging numerous, if not many, many introverts to at least be cons- to start considering maybe I should try more. I-, I love Abigail stuff. Maybe I can do something kind of like that. Even if it's not s- close to that, at least I can attempt to do something like that. And the more I show my face, I can't tell you how many times where I'll go like three weeks without ever showing my face on, on my Instagram stories. Then I'm just like, um, you know what? I just have all these things I want to talk about while I'm editing or while something that happened at a wedding. I post my face for like 15 videos and all of a sudden within a day, I see like half a dozen to a dozen people putting their face on the Instagram story. And I'm like, 
I haven't seen this person in months. I'm like, I just, I, I half wonder if they saw, and I know they saw my stuff. So I'm like, you know, you might never know the impact you have on people based on just doing something that you're already comfortable with doing that you don't even think yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I, I haven't thought about that before. Well, at the end of episodes for season two, I've been asking people why they're so passionate about the topic that we are talking about. I feel like we kind of had less of a topic <laughs> and more of a discussion, but, um, but if you care to tell us why you're passionate about either wedding videography or education or kind of anything we touched on today, I would love to hear that. <laughs> uh, it's not a loaded question. <laughs> I have so many conversations with people Kind of like what we're having i have a lot of light-hearted funny chats with video people that i'm part of where we don't even really talk about wedding stuff we just talk mm -hmm. and i'm and as i was thinking through that and kind of developing my thought about whatever it was i was trying to think of um the idea hit me i'm like you know what like i i talk with so many people in the in the industry that i've never met and the only thing that we started off in common with was that we film weddings. And now months later, a couple of years later, after I've been part of full-time filmmaker, wedding video pro, all these different online communities, I realize it's like whether I'm teaching or educating somebody in our field or a couple in a consultation or just having a conversation with a venue owner who, you know, who's pregnant and asking about how, how how her you know maternity has been and uh, just how that entire you know all that mm -hmm. um and asking a photographer who i've been following on instagram like you know did your was your husband able to find a job or like how's your transition and moving been like honestly it's like my profession is filming and and, and filming weddings but what's always going to continue driving me without the the foundation and heart behind all this is wanting to have a better love for people. I know we just kind of really jump real deep with that, but in any way that I can use words or my actions to convey to people, Hey, I've known you for years or I've known you for just a few weeks. Doesn't matter. I love you. I care about you. I want you to feel invested. I want you to feel valued. I want you to feel like when I'm talking with you, I'm listening I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm remembering it for later and doing this with every single person I come in contact with that either books me that I work with or that I educate. And it's like, it, it, it never ends. It just, it's just always, there's always a new relationship to, to start or an old relationship to continue to cultivate and grow. And that is really, that's my why. That's why I love doing, doing what I, what doing what I do. I think I would do that with whatever my profession was, but I feel like, man, what better place to do that than, than in the wedding industry. For sure. Yeah. I love that. And I, I resonate with that a lot. I think people are what drives us. And I, and I truly think that the most successful people in the wedding industry are people who invest time and, and love into the people that they're working with, whether that's their couple or their fellow wedding vendors. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure you could, I'm sure you could share many, many stories and many conversations you've had with people where you just look back on it and you're like, 
that had nothing to do with weddings, but because of the position that you're in, you were presented opportunities to engage in those in those moments. And like, <laughs> is it, I laugh I laugh because it's amazing. Like, we get to deal, we get to interact and talk with people who we would never probably even know exist. Truly. Truly. And I think I got really emotional at my weddings this past weekend. And I mean, for many different reasons, but truly one of them was, I was like, I would have never, ever crossed paths with these people if I didn't do this as a job. Like, how lucky am I and how incredible is it that like we are all here and I get to witness this and, you know, give them this heirloom for their lives um, and I've just met some of the most incredible people, uh, and it never gets old. All right, Andrew. Well, tell the people where they can find you online. Yeah, you can find me at my website at filmandflourish.com. You can find me on Instagram at film and flourish. And there's no and symbol. The and symbol is only in the logo. And then, yeah, those are the two main places people can find me. And that's usually where people either reach out through or Instagram is basically where I tell my couples where I live. That's where <laughs> if you can't find me or get a hold of me through text, go to my Instagram. I'll probably have something posted in the last 24 hours to let you know I'm alive. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on again today. I am I'm really, really excited to share this conversation with people. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to the DMV Wedding Pros Podcast. You can find Andrew with the links in our show notes, as well as the link for the transcript of this episode. We are over on Instagram at DMV Wedding Pros Podcast. You can join us there, leave some love on Andrew's post. And if there's anyone or anything that you would love to hear about, shoot us a DM. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, tell people what they should expect and why they should tune in. Until next time. <laughs>